to your seats happy church as I like to call you we'll get situated here and as you guys settle down we'll be turning in our Bibles to Acts chapter 16 for the start of a new missionary journey we call it the second missionary journey here before us in the book of Acts chapter 16 let's ask the Lord for his blessing Heavenly Father, we look to you now in the presence of the Holy Spirit here who is here to guide us into all truth and to make us understand what the Spirit of God has for each and every soul that you made sure you predestined, as it were, us to be here for this moment because you have something to say. You always do, and it's good, God. So help us to see and learn how it is you work in us and through us and guide us. This is what we learned today in this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So the starter's pistol has sounded, and they're off and running again. Now the second time the missionary team is sent out to evangelize in foreign lands for the very first time. Well, actually, it is the second attempt here. Jesus, our Lord Jesus, has accomplished his goal. He died on the cross, tasting death for us all. He rose victoriously from the dead and commanded his disciples, now that it is finished and our sins are forgiven, we can be reconciled and we need the message for faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. And so he said, now go into all the world and tell them there's a way of escape from the wrath of God believe in Jesus, and live forever. So off they went. We saw it a few chapters ago, chapters 13 through 14. It's the first missionary trip on foreign soil. Apostles Paul and Barnabas are missionaries commissioned by the church, and they sailed off to Cyprus and to Turkey. Lives were transformed by God's power and love. Churches were established there. Now our missionaries return stateside, as we say, only it's Syria there, uh, where they're pastoring. And it's been two or three years, and it's time for the second go-round. And what starts with a simple desire in Paul's heart to go back to Turkey and check on those new converts is going to turn into a 3,000-mile, four-year expedition where the gospel reaches Europe for the very first time. And we call it as I've been saying, the second missionary journey, chapter 16, 17, and 18. Let me show you the map again. We get situated. And another excuse to use this cool, <laughs> beautiful <laughs> flamethrower. Uh, so they start here. Now, Paul and Barnabas had that disagreement. And so Barnabas took John Mark and went this way. So instead of following and going in the same direction, Paul and Silas, they go this way to get to the church instead of going around this way as they did the first time. So they're going to go check 
in on the church and then the Lord prompts them to go from where they planted the church into, Paul thinks he's supposed to go to Ephesus and then he thinks he's supposed to go north and, but the Lord has a different idea, so he's in for a surprise, as we're going to see now here. And so uh, let's begin our study here, uh, ready uh, to return to Turkey. Yes? Are we? Okay, so let's go. So Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers. To the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, Strengthening the churches, he, Paul, came to Derby and then to Lystra, where they uh, preached the first time through, where a disciple named Timothy lived. This is where he meets Timothy, whose mother was Joseph, Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek, a Gentile. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium, a hundred miles apart there, spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Of course, I'm going to explain that. Uh, Verse 4, as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey regarding social uh, protocols between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So now it's time to move on. The missionary trip is going to start here, really. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden is the word, kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia means the area of modern day Ephesus or ancient day as well. When they came to the border of Messiah, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus again gave them a big no So they passed by Messiah and went down to Troas. It's the port there. Uh, During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Uh, That is modern day Greece. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Greece, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel in Europe. All right, so praise the Lord for that. Invaluable insights always, even in a narrative here, the first 10 verses, very relevant to every believer in the room because their mission is our mission and their struggles are our struggles. And how the Holy Spirit works in them and through them is how the Holy Spirit desires to work in our hearts and lives. And so we pay attention. And here in these two paragraphs, really interesting. The first paragraph really shows how God by the Holy Spirit, guides us through open doors when he says yes. The second paragraph shows us the same thing, how the Holy Spirit guides us through closed doors, through a no, through the ministry of forbiddance of the Holy Spirit. And so, yeah, when God says no, we're going to talk about that. So let's start with the happier 
part. <laughs> when God opens a door and says yes and, um, and gives us great opportunities. And so note takers, that's where we begin. And we begin with a prompt, right? You'll recall, and I already mentioned this, Paul has a longing after a few years of being apart from the new converts. He wants to go back. Hey, let's go back, visit the churches and see how they're doing. And that's how God starts. And that's how God moves us in the right direction. He puts a sanctified desire in our hearts. He stirs our affections towards something. He puts a noble desire, a special ability, uh, or a burden on our hearts to help us discern as well and to move in the right direction. It's totally different from that silly notion that says, if I yield myself to God, surely he's going to make me miserable and call me to do something that I really don't want to do. That's the silliest thing ever because God says through Christ, at the Last Supper, I'm telling you these things because I came, that your joy may be full, that you'd have abundant life overflowing with the goodness of God. You see, that's God's heart for us. So as we delight ourselves in the Lord, so when our heart is consecrated or sanctified to God and there's a noble desire in there, he gives us the desires of our hearts because he put that desire in you to guide you and to give you joy. And so the desire that's in Paul's heart is to return to the mission field and make sure his spiritual children uh, are doing okay. And, and notice really quick, right in the, at the start of this, is that that desire is confirmed by the church. And that's really where God directs us, is in the congregation, in the midst of the Holy Spirit working through the gifts that he gives his people, the leaders. And so this is the place where you take a desire. It's like, I think it's time to go back uh, to Mexico, as it were. And, and so the elders, uh, the congregation can either affirm that or redirect us. And so this is wisdom. It's a gift. The church is a gift to finding and establishing God's will for our lives. And they gather together and they send them off much like we just did today. Uh, It's amazing timing and that we sent off a team after praying and discerning and choosing the right Uh, team putting them together, securing finances. And this is what they had to do. And so at the end there, they commend them to the grace of God. And so, of course, that's exactly the words I used this morning. We commend them to the grace of God. Why? For the grace of open doors and soft hearts and traveling mercies and all of these things, protection, direction, provision. Jesus did say, after all, I don't know that we believe him all the time. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Wow. We seem very active and like we're doing things. But apart from being filled with the Holy Spirit and hitting the bullseye for which we were created, doing God's will, he says, you can't do that without me. And so we commend all of our efforts to the Lord Jesus Christ for his grace. So let's dive in. Verse 1, they come come back to Derby and Lystra. And this should ring a bell for everybody and cue the scary music uh, because it's time for some PTSD uh, because Derby and Lystra, by the way, they're very close together. You can think of them as Santa Rosa and Roner Park 
All right. So it's really one area. And this is the area where Paul almost lost his life. He found himself underneath a pile of stones. They tried to uh, bludgeon him to death. And so that's why I say cue the scary music because he will now go through the same gates from which they dragged his lifeless body thinking he was dead out, dumped his body into a ditch, and now he's coming back. And surely you know that in his mind's eye he sees contorted faces of rage with men who have rocks who want to bash his skull so that he dies. And through those gates to those people, he goes back in. Why? Why would a guy do that? Because there's something inside those gates that is more precious to Paul than his own well-being. God's people are in there. God's call is on his heart. He hears the voice of his Lord who loved Paul and gave himself up for Paul, saying, Paul, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Be my sheep. Go back and check on them. So inside those gates, it's the will of God for Paul's life, and Paul would rather die under a pile of rocks than disappoint the God who gave himself up for him. And so he goes in, and, um, you know, that's where he's going to meet Timothy. Oftentimes when we take a risk and we do something that gives us a little apprehension, but we know it's the right thing to do and we do it, God rewards us. And what a reward in the, in the face of Timothy. Timothy is about 19 or 20 at this time. And uh, apparently uh, Paul calls him my true son in the faith. So what happened is first time through, he preached the gospel. They tried to kill him, almost did. There was no time to see who got saved. Well, Timothy got saved. So when Paul comes through the gates again, Timothy runs out, in my mind's eye, and says, Pastor Paul, you preach the gospel here. I, I, I wanted to come up and talk to you about what God did in my heart, but they dragged you out and then you were gone. But here you are. But when you stood up after they tried to kill you and you preached again, I gave my heart to Jesus. And boom, their hearts were locked and they would be attached by the hip because they were attached out in the heart for 20 years to come. And now Timothy becomes famous because he's attached to Paul. In fact, Paul will start six New Testament letters with this greeting. Paul and Timothy to the church of God at Philippi. Paul and Timothy to the church at the Thessalonica. Paul and Timothy to my brother Philemon. Paul and Timothy six times. Why? Well, Timothy's not speaking and he's not dictating, but he's with his mentor, he's associated with him. It's us, it's a team. He's here with me, he's helping me. And so I send greetings. It's me and Timothy and the Word of God, you know. So they spend those 20 years together. Paul, Timothy is going to become a pastor. He's going to pastor in Ephesus. He's going to pastor uh, Corinth for a, at Corinth for a while. He is amazing. And so as your verses say, 
what really attracted uh, them together and made Paul think this guy would be good to take along on the trip is what the brothers, the elders, were saying to uh, Paul about Timothy. And the word there to give testimony is that they were saying, uh, they were witnessing of Timothy's character, his reputation. So I imagine, you know, Paul is watching and looking at the crowd and somebody says, hey man, look at the guy with the trash. You take him the trash out. That's what he does. That's what he does. He wants to serve, serve, serve. He loves the Lord. He loves God's word and he loves God's people. A little on the shy side, a little introverted, uh, but boy, he's zealous. And you know what? He's young, but he doesn't have that typical immaturity, that foolishness, or that youthful lust thing. Instead of being filled with lust at 19, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, man. There's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control flowing out of this kid. He's humble, submitted, he's a peacemaker. We love him. And then Paul's like, wow, a couple things. What a young man to have at my side to be a helper what a benefit he would be to the mission and the help to Paul personally, but secondly, what a privilege to pour into a young man like that, to shape and mold him, not just by words, but let's go and live this life together and learn from me. And he did, and he became a fantastic uh, man of God. There's only one drawback here, that he's Jewish, but not all the way Jewish. He's not um, officially Jewish as the text goes there. So biblically, if your father is a Jew, you're Jewish. Biblically, because the Bible traces the genealogy uh, through the fathers. Now rabbinically, by the rabbis, if your mother is Jewish, then they'll say you're Jewish. Because why? Practical. We've got the mom right here. You can say the father's Jewish, but if we know, if there's any question, at least we got mom. And we can prove that the mom is Jewish. So we're going to go with, if it's a question of one or the other, we're going to go with the mom. Israel, politically, Israel will consider you Jewish one parent or one grandparent or one great grandparent. That's interesting to me. So what's the problem with Timothy? Well, he kind of is and kind of isn't, right? And so really, I mean, from the Lord's point of view, he is. But from observant Jews at that time, he's not. He's like a Gentile because he was raised by a Gentile. And because he was raised by a Greek father, he didn't have the procedure that little baby Jewish boys get at eight days old. And so Paul says, you know what? it would be a good thing for you to get that done. Why? Certainly not for salvation. We've already been through that. We know, and Paul has said, because there was this big false teaching that went around, hey, unless you become Jewish, males like that, then uh, you're not even saved. Well, we hammered that out. They did, and they came up, and he's carrying a letter that says these very words. Salvation comes to whoever, by faith alone, through grace alone, by Christ alone, period, you see. And yet he's saying to Timothy, it's still a good idea. Why? Not for salvation, but for the sake of expediency, for the practical help 
it will be evangelizing Jewish communities. They want to travel in Jewish circles. They want a warm welcome. They don't want one eyebrow, eyebrow going up and talking about, oh, so your father's a Greek, and so, hmm, you know, all of this. They want a warm welcome. They want to make friends, share the gospel without the attitudes, without the social hindrance among these Jews. They know the truth, but it still makes it hard to evangelize the Jews. So for the sake of making it easier to hear the gospel, he says to Timothy, let's do this. So, reminds me of a situation. I was in Romania and I was ready to preach the gospel. I was sitting with the pastors beforehand in their offices. They looked at my watch in my class ring and they said, "Uh, brother, would you mind taking the watch and the ring off? Because here in this pocket in Oradia, Romania. They see extra jewelry as worldly and it will cause some of them not to be able to hear the message because they will be judging you. So can you take it off? And of course I said, well I had a choice. I could have said are you kidding me? That's not even true and why why can't we teach them that they need to get over that and all of that. You can do that but you're going to have the walls thrown up and, uh, and, and you're going to hinder the gospel. And so I didn't have to, but I did. And Timothy didn't have to, but he did. And here's what he did. Eunice and Lois, his mother and grandmother, they announced to everybody, invited the whole Jewish community, come on over, we're having a big celebration. And, you know, one of our boys has become a son of Israel, officially. There are prayers at that ceremony and that celebration. There's dancing, there's music, there's wine, there's a lot of fun, right? And so in that celebration of Timothy's bris, is what it's called, that they will now be able to, in the common love for all things Hebrew in Israel, for the joy that a son is saying, I love Israel, I love Israel's God and and I've done what Moses said to do. And in all of that exuberance, Paul and Timothy are working the crowd for Jesus now. And saying, you know Timothy, yeah, what is it? What caused you to want to do that, Timothy? And Timothy says, hey, have you read Isaiah 53? And they're like, no. Oh, it moved. It changed my heart. And so he could take them to the most powerful scripture in the Jewish uh, library of the Torah, as it's called, and lead them to the Lord because now they're open and they're on the same page and their hearts are warmed, you see. That's how it goes. And so, yeah. And now it, it, it goes on to say, and the church was growing and the church was strengthened, of course. It's got a pastor with that kind of love and wisdom and compassion, that other-centered, that's not about what I want to do. It's about what God wants in the good of the congregation. It's going to grow. And I do want to make a statement about verse 5 there. Not surprising that the church grew in numbers where the sheep are fed well and cared well for by the shepherd. They naturally reproduce 
There, there needs no man's program to grow the church or to vision cast. It reminded me of just how the church grows because that's God's business to grow a church. He only asks a pastor, just feed them, equip them, be faithful to your calling to teach the word of God and I'll take care of the rest. So rumor got out 20 years ago that we wanted to start a church. Somebody took me to lunch, kind of one of those mover, shaker kind of guys. And I already knew I was anxious before he even said it. But he said, I want to hear your vision. What's your vision for Santa Rosa? Come on. We've got to cast a vision. I was like, Let's cast a vision. And I said, I don't know what that means. I really, I don't know what that means. I, I have a doctorate in ministry, but I'm lost right now. I, all I want to do is teach the Bible. I want to love people. I want to, I want to, more people in heaven than in hell. I want stronger marriages and stronger families and stronger Christians by preaching and teaching, you know. And then you leave the numbers and the size of the church to God because he may want us to pastor a small little church and that would be okay with me. And uh, that wasn't the right answer for him. And so he goes to, I was going to tell you, but you don't need to know where he goes. I don't really know anyway, so there. All right, so yeah, do you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of craziness about this. Can we move on now? So this, the sheep there at Derby and Lystra are stuffed. And you know what else is stuffed? Timothy's backpack, because he wants to go. He's going to go. He got the invite. And they're going to get commissioned by the churches there. Go get them. Go off. And Paul's like, to Ephesus, right? And the Lord's like, uh. <laughs> so let's see what happens. Six through 10, our last a little, yeah. So Paul and his companions, I want to see this. Who are they? Oh, you're not going to know. God's going to keep that a secret. These anonymous heroes. He says, shh, I'm not, gonna, I'm not putting them in the limelight for whatever reason. There are, there are heroes we're going to meet at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It says that God introduces them, not just them. He introduces us, and, and at that time, I'm quoting the Bible right now, at that time, God will give them the praise due them. That's amazing to me. And so those who serve and make people who are in the limelight successful, and effective, but you, you'd never know it. The people who pray for me, the people who have inspired me and taught me and hung in w- with me, you don't know any of them. But they're all a part of this ministry. And on that day, you'll, you'll meet every one of them. And I'm speaking not just for me, I'm speaking for everybody whose name you know and see. But there's a day coming, and so... Yeah, so, so off they go. He thinks he's going, province of Asia means Ephesus. He wants to turn a heavy heart left and the Holy Spirit forbids them. That's the word. And says no. And then he goes, okay, I guess we got to go north to Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit says, wrong again. No, 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 no. 500 miles walking that's a long time of no's. No, no, no. Can we stop? Can we set up? Can we get into our routine? Can we do the thing for which we were sent? 
We were given money. We have been prayed over. We're supposed to go and preach. But we're not establishing any churches. We're not preaching the gospel anywhere. And we just keep going and Paul keeps going, no, 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 no. How frustrating. So now we're in the part of the sermon. We've left the when God guides us with a yes and with an open door. Now it's the least liked way of God answering a prayer is with a no. And let me just say this. God has answered every single one of your prayers, every single one, with a yes, a no, or not yet. But we like to say, God really answered my prayer. Mm, dude, he's been answering your prayers though, every day, except you only consider a prayer answered when it goes your way. But see, God's ways are higher than our ways. He knows what would be good and what would be bad. You see? And so he, the same God who loves us and wants us to have the joy, who says yes, 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 also in love, who wants us to be having joy and wants to protect us from missing the beautiful blessing that he has for us to receive and to be to others, he forbids and says, no, 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 even though it's scriptural and right and good and it's something we've planned and thought it was going to happen and he keeps just saying no. Now how did he do that? How does he tell you no? God's got a lot of ways to work, doesn't he? Let me show you the map again about the second missionary journey and the 500 miles. And no, I want to go to Ephesus. No. <laughs> okay, let's go north. No. <laughs> okay, let's go here. No, 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 no. And now he's at a beach looking at ocean. And he's still saying to the team, no, no, it's not Troas. No. And they're like, dude, you got hit in the head with a rock, remember? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine the frustration of the team where they tempted to say, Paul, come on, you veto everything we say. You don't have peace. Oh, man, I, I've got a map of a modern-day Google Maps thing. Well, it's twice, twice as long, but I just started at Carson City walking. Wherever they would have stopped, there would have been plenty of people in need, plenty of opportunities to preach, and every single stop, every time they stopped to get water, every time they stopped for the night, Paul said, no. Not feeling it. We have to move on. Wow. That's amazing. Can you imagine? All the way. Until he gets to Fort Bragg, they're on the pier, and Paul's like, on the pier. And he's like, we're going to go forward, I think. And everyone's like, okay, let's find him some food. <laughs> Everything's happy, Paul, you, you know. Uh, but God's going to answer. God's going to say, right where he's staring, like, what? Boom. And then everyone's going to understand, oh, he's not indecisive or crazy or kind of lost his courage. He's following a voice that we don't all necessarily hear because he's leading, you see. So we can go back to the verses and pick up. So, how does God say no? Oh, he's got a million reasons, <laughs> a reason, a million ways to say no, right? So maybe it was fierce opposition. So they go to turn left, and 
Like, it's the threat to their life. So they're like, well, that's easy. <laughs> We're not going down that road. All right. Or maybe it was uh, practical. Like, um, they needed permits back in the day. They needed things like visas to cross into countries and borders and things like that. Uh, so maybe it was practical. You know how God says no? He can cause you the car not to, to start up in the morning. And, and we're like, oh no, my plans, you know, no, I can't do this and that and the other. And he's like, exactly. <laughs> exactly, because you don't know. Now, what if they stopped? See, in God's mind, it's like, get the gospel to Europe. Nothing else matters. Get that. They don't know that. If they would have stopped and started preaching, they would have been distracted. They would have never made it to Europe in Paul's lifetime. And if the gospel didn't get to Europe, we'd all be speaking a different language. Because from Europe, it went to England. From England, it went to the Mayflower, from the Mayflower, uh, or wherever, and came over to America. And the West got Christianized and blessed. So, yeah, how, what was it? Did they run out of money? Did they have financial problems? Somehow God, or did God just back in the day give one of the brothers who's gifted in the area of bringing a word, and he said, thus saith the Lord, it's not here. Thus says God, he gave me a vision last night. No, 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 it's not here. That happens. Now look at this. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. I think most Christians don't get that. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It, the word is to umpire, to call safe or out. That's the word. So he says, let the peace of God direct your life. When you have it, pursue it. When you don't have it, listen up and don't go there. Do you see? Because you can have outwardly everything line up. How many times? It looks good. It is good. Scripturally, you find the verse and everything. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. And when you don't have that peace, you should not pursue it. And that's what was happening. Paul didn't have the peace. He knows the peace. He goes, I'm unsettled. Something's not right. And so let's just wait. Let's just keep moving in this direction. You know, and it's so hard. Listen, I'm throwing this out for you. It'll be helpful. Please, Christian, be flexible. Be flexible. Keep a loose grip on the reins of your life because God's got a plan that you know not of. You think you know the plan and maybe you're 80% right, but your life always, like my life, goes... You didn't see it coming. So you have to be able to say with the yeses, yay, and with the noes, yes, thank you, God, and just kind of go where the Lord is leading you, even though it makes you look a little crazy sometimes. But, you know, you can blame God. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you can say, this is what I feel, you know, and then on that day, we'll find out what was God and what was crazy, right? So... Listen, I had my plans. I graduated from Bible college. I wanted to go to the mission field. I knew I was supposed to go to Asia. Asia. Right? So I signed up for a program. It was based in Springfield. I got accepted. I went in. I got trained. And then people started investing. 
Well, when I was sitting at the table in Springfield, they said, what country? And I said, I'm going to leave that to you guys because I know it's Asia, but I don't have a country. And he goes, funny thing. I just hung up with a guy from Thailand who said, give me a young guy. He doesn't need to be married, blah, 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 blah. And he said, yeah. And they all started teasing me about the chair that was next to me. They said, usually there's a woman in that chair, you know, as a wife of the guy. And I said, you know what? <laughs> you know, do you know any pretty blonde girls who can sing? <laughs> I said those words to them. So I left there on my way to Thailand. I had stationery with a hut on it, prayer cards. And I was halfway through. In those days, you go church to church to church, raising your money and telling your vision for the, the, the people in Thailand to hear the gospel. And God has called me and all of this stuff. So I get to Santa Rosa. I preach. It was beautiful service. In the evening, beautiful service. My heart was moved. On the way out, the pastor says to me, hey, how sold are you on this Thailand thing? What? <laughs> I, just, yeah, I took money from your church because I go to Thailand. I've been trained. I got little prayer cards with a hood on it. <laughs> I'm going to Thailand. And he goes, but when he said it, something hit me. And he said, well, I'd hire you in a heartbeat. I was like, oh, well, thanks. I'm going to, to Thailand. Bye. Every day. Santa Rosa, Santa Rosa. Every time I got in the pulpit the next Sunday and then the following Sunday, hey, I'm going to Thailand. In my heart, I was like, what's happening? I, uh, a month of that, I called Springfield and I said, look, I don't have peace. I can't go. And I said to them, and they said, well, we're highly disappointed. And I said, maybe it's to find that cute girl in the chair that you were teasing me about. That's what I said. I called the pastor and he said, absolutely, come on up. So I moved up to Santa Rosa. I sat on the platform as they did in those days. First day. First day. <laughs> the choir. <laughs> and a girl <laughs> walked in front of me, passed me. Tim went to the microphone and sang, first day. I said, pretty blonde who sings. <laughs> Note to self, this may be why you're here. Three months later, she said yes to me. Because God gave me a no to Thailand. And it was worth the embarrassment and looking indecisive, like I don't know what I'm doing, because God had a different plan. And then we did end up going to Asia for four years. But this time, I had someone in the seat next to me. <laughs> so praise God. Come on, people. There's happy endings here. So stop with the resentment. And why does everybody else and all of this stuff just know this? God is good. And so they get to Troas as we're finishing up now. 
And most people just think, well, this must be it. And like I said, he's like, no, it's not here. Don't preach at Troas. And they didn't for, you know, they probably shared here and there, but there was no campaign at Troas because he's unsettled. So he's walking the beach up and down. God, come on, I need some help here. And boom, the vision of a man with a Greek accent saying, come on over here and help us. So then they concluded, and I love how they conclude. He just says, come and help us. Nobody on the team goes, help us what? No, we know even though you're the Greeks, the land of Alexander the Great and Plato and Socrates and Aristotle and the land of geometry and science and medicine and the Hippocratic Oath and all of this goodness of art and theater and Olympic sports and the marathon. We know what you're saying, sir. That even though you have the entire world and you're the Greeks, you don't have life. And we're going to come for your desperate need because that man's face is the face that haunts all of us. I'm looking at a face of somebody who's on the fence, doesn't know the Lord. His soul is hanging by a thread. I see that face saying to me, help me, help me. And that's why they went. They went to help in obedience so that even though that person gained the whole world, he wouldn't lose his own soul. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your love, your goodness to us. We trust you, Holy Spirit. It's hard. I pray a special prayer for my friends and all of us, God, who are laboring under a no (laughs) with disappointment and pain involved and confusion that we would simply trust you. (laughs) You're so good. You're good. Just remind us of your goodness that you just you have plans to prosper us, give us a hope and a future, not to harm us, God. Well, help us to get through the nose <laughs> with your peace, <laughs> your joy, trusting you every step of the way. We're thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.